Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Chris Davis. Chris and I both hail from the same hometown in Scotland, Cumbernauld, the only Scottish town to be labelled Scotland's most dismal town twice. So we name-check a few cultural references in the episode. Chris went to university in Aberdeen, graduated and then headed for Berlin in 2008. Chris tells us about his early days in Berlin, working in bars and getting into the improv comedy scene in the city. After two years in the improv scene, Chris decided to spread his wings and to go it alone in stand-up comedy and has been a regular on the scene for the last 10 years. We also find out about the wandering barman persona, the immersive and interactive nature of the act, and where it's heading next. Alongside Chris's comedy journey, he's also been serving cocktails in numerous high-end establishments, Michelin star restaurants, as well as on stage. We blether on about alcohol-free gin, pretentious ingredients, Chris's own podcast, Lifting Your Spirits, his new one-hour show aptly named The Death of a Barman, and we both share our experiences of playing to disinterested audiences. In the top five, we talk Coldplay, Foreigner, The Barrelands in Glasgow, First Gigs, The Smiths, Aldous Harding, and uh, the filmmaker Adam Curtis. All this and just what is a gas mark five palette. Let's get right to it. Chris Davis. What about yourself? Where did you grow up? So you, you're a... Is it Cumbernauldian? I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Cumbernauld 8? I have no idea. 8 sounds a bit more rough, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> so it's like a, a Jacobite or something. I don't know. Yeah, so I was born in Glasgow, but um, quickly after hours of being on the on the earth was punted through to Cumbernauld, when I grew up, man, Seafar uh, was Carbrain initially. All right. And then Seafar. Uh, North Cabrain, yeah, yeah, Stony Lee Road, oh, just right, uh, yeah. on that, that North Cabrain Road there. Yeah, got you. And then I moved up to Seafar. Uh, so I was at Cumbernauld High. I was at Cabrain Primary School and then Cumbernauld High. Yeah, man, it was, uh, I loved actually, in fairness. I kind of really, I mean, if you don't know anything else, it's kind of hard to have it in, uh, as a reference point, but Cumbernauld was, was all right. I mean, it was fuck all to do, but it, I think um, in a lot of senses, it kind of, it gives a bit of space to be creative, doesn't it? Regardless of what that is. I mean, I certainly wasn't writing poetry when I was growing up. I was throwing eggs off taxis and getting chasing <laughs> poets. I mean, it's kind of, if there's no youth clubs and no community halls, you're going to... You have to make your own entertainment, isn't it, you know? I mean, you're going to have to steal, steal, steal a fence post or two so that, to piss off our neighbours so you get a chase, you know what I mean? A bit of chappy at night, though. Like, you know? <laughs> That's it. That's what that was it, man. And then I was I basically stayed there for, for a long, long time, man, until I was uh, until I was eighteen. And then after school I moved up to Aberdeen to study there at university. I studied English literature. I did a number of things. Um, predominantly English literature, creative writing, a little bit of film, some sociology. And once I uh, once that was finished, I'd done four years, got my degree, and then moved straight to Berlin. Yeah, I think I, I graduated in maybe the September or the July or September or something, and I think I was in Germany for December that year, two thousand eight. So you've seen quite a lot of changes, eh, between initially moving and now. I mean, COVID out of the unrelated stuff, but you know, just a a change in the city itself, of Berlin, the type of yeah. people that are there, or the maybe the art community in general. Berlin changes architecturally pretty quickly. I went away for a month there and there's already a block of flats brand new that have just been thrown up, you know. It's and quite quick for Germany, you know. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, it's always ever changing the city, you know. But the one thing that I can say uh, is that the people don't change in this city, I, I think, I hope, and I, I hope it would stay that way. Albeit there's a bit of gentrification. Right. Uh, a pint is probably maybe a, a euro more expensive than it was in 2008. And maybe you can get now craft beers and the veganist movement has brought in a kind of culinary uh, difference that's that's kind of um, that's improved things in my opinion. There's 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 way there's way more restaurants, there's way more 
authentic places to eat. There's way more culture to get involved in. But the, the hardcore factor of Berlin, I think, and I hope will always remain the same, and that's that people that come here are always kind of, they lean left and they're, they're fairly liberal and they're hopefully very creative and they, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously and, uh, and they always know how to have a good time. And I think that's, that's kind of remained since, I think that's even been here since the wall came down, to be honest, man. That, that's just been a part of kind of Berlin, Berlin life. Mm, I mean, Berlin's always had a kind of reputation for going back to the 20s and 30s and all that, you know, whether it be film or all the kind of the stuff that followed that. And then you skip through the war and all that, but it's always had a kind of, uh, you know, a good artistic scene to it. Ah, yeah, it really has always been up and coming that way. It's, it's a very flamboyant city, and I really love that. It just kind of it wants to just have a good time. <laughs> it really does, and it tries its best to do that, you know. What got you into the comedy? I mean, was that uh, something that you'd been planning, something you'd thought about? Because this is the thing about I find about the spoken word, it's, uh, or comedic sense anyway, you know, it's some people are just natural storytellers, but they never think of themselves as standing up on stage and doing it, you know, they're just good at telling stories about funny things or everyday things and stuff like that, but what was it that got you into it, Chris? From the very early days, deep down, there was a number of people on a number of occasions that said, oh Chris, you're a good storyteller, you should, you should go on stage, you should be an actor or something like that. And these were always very kind of flippant comments. They were, they were never, never anything they'd taken too seriously. I moved to Berlin and I work in this Irish pub for about two years and it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but I was having, I knew that this wasn't, this wasn't what I was going to do forever I was going to sit and work in an Irish pub. But it was a place to go, as you probably know, wherever you go, Irish pubs are pretty much a good place to, to hit up if you're working for a pub, especially if you're 20 years old, 20, 22 years old, I would have been, and you're kind of just wanting to meet some people and maybe try and learn the language and make some money. That's basically those three things that you want to do. So I was there for like two years and I saved up a load of money, quite frankly, when I was there because I wasn't really doing anything else other than working there four or five days a week and then going out and getting pushed. Like that was literally it and just getting to know people. So I managed to save up a load of money. And I was able to take about eight or nine months off of work, just completely didn't have to work. And that was, I guess, my wee time where I was trying to find out. I just started, I, got, I went on Craigslist, that's how old it was, that's how long ago it was. And I just, I, I just said kind of yes to everything. There was all these wee clubs on and I was going to eat everything. I was going to, I, don't know, I was going to people going for walks and going for runs and people flying kites and parking <laughs> that. I was just doing, I was saying yes to absolutely everything. But one of the things that I said yes to was improv, improvised comedy. And I said, do you want me to go look at that bash? And I went and it was just this class that taught you comedy. And if, I think it was, if you paid, something ridiculous, it wasn't a lot of money. You, you, you paid each week to go there. And then after a couple of months, if you were good enough, you could actually get into the troupe and then be on stage and performing with them and making like money from the door. And that's what happened. I started doing improv comedy. Uh, it turned out to be not half bad at it. Met a whole bunch of people there that I'm definitely still in contact with today. I've done that for about maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. And then I, I kind of saw, because I was in that world, I saw the stand-up stuff and I went, right, this is actually more my kind of fancy. I really enjoyed the improv. With improv, there's there's actually a surprisingly a, a surprising amount of technique you need to know you need to learn there's actually textbooks and uh, the more you know the better you the better the, the, the show will be because um, your colleagues and your, your performers beside you and your friends they're also aware so that so you can get some really good shows if everyone's learned up and studied up and that's kind of why you do these classes they're there they're kind of workshops every week and you're workshopping on stage as well and you're going home and you're reading something it was great but this idea of just me talking my mind for Five minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes on a stage on my own with a microphone. Definitely something to do with an ego <clears throat> trip happening, that's for sure. But it just seemed so fascinating to me, man. And I done it once and it was you were something bitten, just eh? absolutely man. It just something just hit me. I didn't even didn't even do that well, but there was like a teeter of laughs that I got from I think I'd done five minutes and one joke that I'd done in those five minutes got a titter of laughs and I just went, I want more of that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, I want more. So, yeah. So that's that was 10 years ago, man. I've been doing comedy for almost 10, pretty much 10, 10 years. But what's quite interesting as well when uh, 
when I found it a wee bit more of what you do. So the wandering barman and the improv together at the same time, you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say character comedy, but it's kind of, you're, you're bringing another kind of persona into the, uh, into the a, mix, if a, you pardon the pun, right, sorry. Uh, that, here we go. <laughs> Shake, shaking things up. <laughs> Slippy but, tiger. <laughs> yeah, the, the wandering barman himself, I, I think this is, I'm going through a wee bit of a phase at the moment. I, I, so I've done the Wandering Barman for five years, and, and just like for, for the listeners, the Wandering Barman, in, in very short terms, is, is essentially I've got a stage on the bar. There's like fifty people, and I basically show everyone how to make a cocktail. I make three cocktails, and each person, each audience member, gets to try one of those cocktails. So there's wee tasters that come round halfway through the show and all that, and we all basically could go on a little journey of flavour, right? A little journey of inebriation, as I like to call it, on stage. And then in between, I do some stand-up jokes and uh, I tell some drunk, uh, some stories about being drunk. The audience then get to tell their stories about being drunk. Someone can get up and then make a cocktail on the stage and we all laugh at that. And it's all very immersive. It's all very interactive. And it's a bloody right laugh. The thing with The Wandering Barman is that I created that, I, I wouldn't even call it a character, I'd maybe say it's a persona. And it was, it was essentially just an ever slightly exaggerated version of what I am. But that's what I am on stage anyway, doing stand-up comedy. So I think I've become ever so slightly disenfranchised with the concept of the Wandering Barman, even though I still do it. From time to time, what I'll do is I'll do it for like Christmas parties, corporate events, uh, these like bigger groups. But I've, I've kind of stopped doing it as a stand-up show, a ticketed show. It's just for private now. And that's only something I came to realise in the past six months. And in the past six months, I've, I've definitely verged towards really doing my stand-up comedy as an art form. I know that that sounds pretentious, but that's, well, that's what really... it is, man. If it's 10 years, is I think you've earned your stripes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think what I'm doing now is, is, is focusing more on story arts and um, kind of plot control and really feeling the energy of the audience in the room and, and making them taking them on that journey but allowing for you know allowing for them to like sit back a little bit they don't always have to be like slapping their thighs and drying their eyes uh, they don't have to always be like totally engaged and it's about trying to control that whereas the wandering barman whenever things were kind of drying up a little bit so to say you know with the comedy i just like, okay guys who's up for a cocktail let's do a second <laughs> cocktail like, way you know oh, on we go again, eh? i always go again you know it was like it's kind of hiding but there was something to hide behind there was that whole bar was, was something that I could absolutely hide behind. And it worked, and it still does. It's still a great show. It's, it's brilliant. I love doing it. But, um, I have to say, not... I've got to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but I have to say, the cocktails that I've seen on your videos look fantastic. I mean, they can only taste as good as they look right there. Uh, the, today, well, today I watched the non-alcoholic one, I forget what it was. It was... Uh... I, it could have been... Oh, yes, was it was a, a gimlet. A it gimlet. was a gimlet. Was, a gimlet. Okay, a gimlet. Right, gimlet. Right, okay. Yeah, it was a gimlet. I'm looking at my stuff um, all the time. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't know what this is, but it sounds uh, good. I know, an amazing drink, man, an amazing drink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I made it with this kind of alcohol-free gin, it's called. Um, uh, it's made in Germany, and uh, it's really delicious. It actually tastes better than actual gin. I shit, you know. Um, <laughs> it's very floral. But yeah, no, thank you. I learned. I was a cocktail barkeeper for over 10 years. I, I started off in bars, Irish pub, then worked around a couple of bars, then a Russian pub. And I just started... I've never really won for, I don't like to be, I don't like to be at the top of the, the pyramid, but I don't like to be at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, I like to be mm. three quarters of the way up type thing, I think that's kind of, kind of my personality, so whatever I kind of do, I don't need to be the best, but I certainly don't want to just, I don't want to be complacent, I hate complacency, I detest it actually, I'm always frightened in case I just fall into complacency and I'm just like, ah, oh, just work away and don't think about anything else, so what I'm trying to say is, is I went high up on the kind of the cocktail and bar experience ladder. I was always looking for where I could work next so that I could learn stuff. What I hated was just constantly popping beers or making pints and making the, the same drinks that were on the menu. I got very bored very quickly at a lot of bars that I worked. So to cut a long story short, I ended up, the last place that I worked in was like a Michelin star restaurant and I would be uh, doing the cocktails there with two other guys that I got to know very well. And I just learned so much, man. It was like, it was like a university. Uh, I thought I knew my cocktails after maybe seven, eight years going into that place. And then I realised I knew nothing, not nothing, but the stuff that I, I know now, uh, I just, uh, I, I owe it all to those two guys, Justin and Andrea, that I was working with. They just taught me, they taught me how to make the drinks, they taught me how to decorate the drinks. They told me a lot, of, uh, taught me a lot of alcohol, but they also, most importantly, just taught me how to taste 
And that comes across in your videos when you do the little kind of the preamble before the interview kind of thing, and it's like you taking you through step by step because it looks easy, right? Because you just think, oh, you fire some stuff in a glass, you get a shake, and that (laughs) battering, right? You're you're, you're good to go. But it's uh, there's a kind of scientific element to it. There's the kind of freshness element that you're talking about with the ingredients and all that. And it's it's a kind of series, but not for for me anyway. Someone who's not really a cocktail drink, I'll drink them. Don't get me wrong, but you know. I'll take a pint first, as it as it will. No, but the thing is, is what I, what what I always say to my audience is, this is me, this is me once again, lightheartedly talking about the cocktail world. This is me actually secretly taking the piss out of the cocktail world because the cocktail world is, is it's one of the most pretentious that industries pretentious, you can find yourself in. And it's so there's so many people that I've met that are so far up their own ass they just cannot take a joke for the life of themselves, man. And I've been sitting at a bar. And uh, they've just been like, oh, getting all grumpy. And I'm like, oh. so what I'm trying to do with the cocktails that I'm doing with the Wandering Barman and All Lifting Your Spirits is essentially saying, look, I'm not telling you I'm the best. I just want to kind of break down the illusion that cocktails aren't as complicated as what everyone thinks. You can make once it you home, know, right? Just get some. Aye, once, once you know a particular recipe, man, yeah. do it at home. You know, you don't need to go buy half the stuff that you need for co- for cocktails. You can make them at home really, really, really simply. Well, the Bloody you Mary make... was the other one I saw today, which is a kind of, right, it's a classic, right? Aye, man. And uh, Bloody Mary is, you know, there's no particular recipe to a Bloody Mary, but what I want to do is, like, show you all the different ways that a Bloody Mary can be made with, like, Thai coriander <laughs> and, uh, like, a, like, a fucking mint foam. You know, and these are things that you can make at home. Because these things were readily available in all the week in a mini marts in South and North Cabrain and Condorit and all that when we were kids, right? So, you know. <laughs> right enough, I know. <laughs> I know. Totally how the palate has changed. I've got a good joke about that. It's like how, how in Cumbernauld we've got what's called a Gasmont 5 palate. It's essentially just, you know, chicken, chicken drumsticks, chips and beans is essentially what we're growing up with. And now... And now look at me making an alcohol-free gimlet with a mint foam on the side, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Fuck's sake. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen, eh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> the idea for the the podcast then really came through the, like, the pandemic situation. Yeah, uh, you know, so the pandemic hits. Everyone's got their own story about tours being cancelled and blah, blah, blah. So I started to feel sorry for myself in March 2020. Oh, why is it happening to me? Blah, blah, blah. So I had three or four days of that, and then I went, right, fuck this. Okay, if I, if I can't go to a stage, I'm bringing the stage to me. So what I've done is I spent six or eight weeks writing um, The Wandering Barman as a TV concept. So Rather than it being a stage thing, what I've done is I wrote tw- uh, eight 20-minute episodes for The Wandering Barman, and they're currently in the process of being edited. So I, I got that together. We started, we filmed August 2020, so that's how long ago it was. It's been an edit process that long. And once that was done, that was a kind of, the, the lifting your spirits was almost both training for that little experience, I, I wanted because I didn't have a stage to practice uh, speaking on, uh, I didn't have guests to practice speaking on. Um, I, I, that was kind of one of the ideas. I didn't have a I, I, like. I'm, I'm going to be on camera for two days making cocktails. So how can I practice this? I don't really want to just do it in my gaff on my own because yeah, it's a different learning curve. Right. It's uh, you're fucking. It's the classic. If you don't have a deadline. Um, you know, you wake up one morning, you go, ah, I should probably do that, but... I'll do something else instead, or... I can, I can do it tomorrow, yeah, can't I? There's, no, there's no deadline. Right. And uh, deadlines, I think, are, for any uh, procrastinators out there, deadlines are absolute vital for anything you want to do creativity. If you're doing it off your own back, you don't have a producer, you don't have an agent, no one's telling you what to do. Make yourself deadlines, you'll soon become your own producer and agent pretty quickly. Because I was writing this TV thing, I needed to get practice in, so I started doing the Lifting Your Spirits episodes. And then after I'd done the, the recorded the TV thing, um, I, I just continued doing it, man. And, uh, and yeah, I, it, was, it was literally just a pandemic thing. I, I released the Craig Walker episode a couple of days ago. Oh, that had that an interesting s- break in the middle when it was like oh my three God. months or something. Aye, three, four months, <laughs> and it was just ridiculous because I'd lost... You know, everything starts to open up again, man. 
I don't have time to be sitting doing podcasts and sitting editing stuff. It takes fucking ages to edit that thing, by the way. Oh, it edit, takes, edit, isn't it? Take, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a, it's a day. It's a day and a half of me sitting down editing, man. And, and I'm not a computer person uh, generally, so I, you have to learn all this stuff. And But, no, that was that, man. It's not a pandemic thing. So, uh, you know, I'd love to keep it going in that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving parts to that particular podcast, which is... Classic Chris Davis, to be honest, I don't do things fucking simply. I always have to well, let's put a cocktail in there with two cameras and fucking, you know what I mean? Well, it looks let's great, put, man. I'll be honest with you. It yeah, looks yeah, great. Yeah. I think, uh, aye, it's just interesting to see what other people are doing or how they do it or how they approach it or how they talk to their guests. And it's just that kind of natural banter kind of thing, you know, just in a, it seems, it seems like it's not forced or rehearsed. I mean, you know, it looks as well as looking good, it sounds good. It sounds natural. You have a nice way of kind of talking bollocks with your guests and all that, and just kind of making <laughs> them, making them, making them feel at home, right? They're kind of. They're... I'd love to. Oh, I'd love to use that as a tagline, please, man. From you, <laughs> like, just that's brilliant. Talking bollocks at home, yes. Because <laughs> you, uh, as this, as you were saying earlier, like you, you met so many people of the kind of vast area, kind of folk from all backgrounds and creative backgrounds and that. And, it's kind of nice because you're getting you the, the there was the food nutritionist, I think she was mm, yeah, the chef, and then the other one I saw half of was the life. Now what was it? I can't even remember what it oh, was. Oh, the life coach. Aye, I was just like, <laughs> her, her name's Angela Scrivani. Aye, it was. I got halfway through that I had to stop and make my dinner and all that earlier tonight in a, in a true rock and roll way. But I was sitting watching it and I was like, and then there was all the stuff about God and all that. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, all right. So I'll watch the other half later, but I'm curious to see where the other half takes me. But aye, it's, well, it's I, just really interesting having different different people, different voice, uh, different voices, of course, you know, different sounds, but they have something different to say and you can have a laugh and a joke in between it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I just always liked, I think I'm just a very social person in general, man. I think to kind of keep me locked up inside for two years, you know, without having a chance to go back home, I need to, I need to express. It's just about expression. It's just about expressing yourself. Something needs to get out. I want to just talk to other people about other things. It's either that or it's going on paper or both. So there's only so much you can do on paper. So every now and then get someone in to, to talk to you, you know. What about for the shows coming up then, Chris? Are you going to go out on the, the mean streets of Berlin and kind of start working the, the circuit again? Are you getting yeah, plans yeah, for yeah. further afield, maybe? Um, I do, all of the above, man. So I've um, I done a very successful tour of Berlin uh, the first two weeks of September before going to Scotland for a month. They were pretty much almost all sellout shows, apart from one. Um, and I've done, I done, I think I got back, I've done about eight shows in the past 10 days. This next show is going to be my calendar here it's November into the 4th of November I've actually there's a, I've got a couple of little open micer things happening man but uh, on the 20th uh, and the 27th and the 3rd of December was going to be so the 20th of November 27th of November and the 3rd of December is when I'm doing my special one hour solo shows which is uh, aptly called uh, the, the death of a barman because I'm not doing the Wandering Barman anymore as a ticketed event. But I've got a couple of things lined up for the Wandering Barman, uh, hopefully for some corporate stuff, because this is the time where uh, a lot of companies are doing their... Um, end of year session and all that. Yeah. End of year stuff and Christmas parties and office parties. Right. And that's where that's where the Wandering Barman really comes into his own, because you know, people just want to drink and have a laugh, and it's absolutely perfect. perfect. <laughs> you know, a great combo. Yeah. Where do you practice your material? If you can, you can let us into a wee bit of a, a bit of the secret well, stuff. You know, is it something you work on internally? Yeah. So to answer your question, it's in the head. Like if I'm rehearsing, um, it's I'll usually try and speak it out loud, and I'll just walk out in my room, and and all, all that rehearsing is is getting it in your head. As you speak it out loud, it goes in your head. It's like learning a song, right? You 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 know what rhythms are will be there to get you onto the next link, get you onto the next topic or the next sentence or whatever it is. Um, when I'm writing, um, it's usually just me and a computer or me and a notepad or me walking about my room trying to 
if something's becoming a little bit more difficult to actually work out, then I'll, I'll see it out loud in my head and try and go places with it. But for the most part, man, it's just uh, it's just um, constantly observing wee things that you think other people might be able to relate to, and then taking whatever it is that you think about on your own little personal journey of what you think is funny. And usually that's all internal because everyone's got their own sense of humour, their own type of humour. So it's it's a bit of an arduous process, but it gets done, man. It gets done and you first of all try and think that it's funny and if it makes me laugh, I, I've seen myself writing something on a bit of paper and busting out laughing. I'm like, that's, that's a fucking keeper. I'm taking that to the stage. And then you take it to the stage and it only gets to the, the half reaction that you maybe wanted it, or you maybe had it maybe expected to. Um, so then you go away and you work on it. And then you go back the next day and you go do, you go back up on stage again the next night and you work on it. And then if it gets a bigger laugh, then you're on the right track. And if it gets a lesser laugh or the same laugh, then you're not really on the right track. So it's just, uh, it's a, it really is a real trial, trial and error uh, situation. Um, for years, I used to, almost do it musically. You know, if you write a song, um, you don't go out and practice a song. Like you don't, you know, you don't go out with like half the chords and half the lyrics and go out and open mic and try it out. You usually sell home, you perfect it, you go, I know these these are the ones that I want to use. These are the chords that I want to use. I think this sounds great. I'm going to record it in a studio. I'm going to put it on an album. You know what I mean? Mm. But with stand-up, it's a lot different. So I think for years, <clears throat> I used to take, <clears throat> I used to do it, excuse me, um, with a bit of a more musical approach. I'd sit inside and I'd try and learn it to the best of my ability. I'd try, to, I'd try and perfect it to the best of my ability. I'd try to make it as funny as it could possibly be, then take it to the stage and then try and nail it. And usually, uh, a lot of the time it would work. But the real proper way to do it is to do it uh, the way that I just described, where you you work it out bit by bit on stage and live in front of an audience, because that's the only way it's going to work. It's more like a kind of drip effect. You're you're taking it kind of bit by bit. You have to, man. There's no other choice. Because you can think something's absolutely hilarious on your notepad and then <laughs> hey, bombs. you've worked on it for a week. And then you just go and it's bombs and you have to eat your own balls for <laughs> about five minutes, man. And it's the most harrowing fucking experience, really. You, never you can, never mix business and pleasure. Very... <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's a very interesting experience, man, to, to stand up there. And uh, and just have uh, not one utter of, um, of 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 pleasure from anyone, and just they, they just hate you. <laughs> it's a kind of strange yeah. experience, isn't it? It's, I must admit, it's kind of it is a bit unique. Have you ever experienced that in your music? Was you know, people are just completely disinterested? Uh, it must be two thousand seven or two thousand eight or some we the band I was playing in at that time were three Canadian guys and myself and we recorded two original albums but we were a cover stroke original band so we'd go play for three hours or four hours whatever whatever we could and we were together for about two and a half years or something really good guys and uh so we would just play practice and play for the first three months it was maybe even less maybe two months it was practice twice a week and then we went and played and still practiced right. so we got well I got better the rest of them were pretty good but I got better <laughs> you know so there was, <laughs> you could see the difference but played with better musicians good guys and then there was one night we played in the this university district of Seoul called uh, Hongdae it's like where the art school is and all that stuff so there's a lot of bars and music clubs and shit hipsters and all that stuff and uh, so we kind of went in and we played this club called FF and there was, Saturday night was their night, so Saturday night they sold tickets and I think you got five beer tickets for a ten or so. They did all these deals, but on a Friday night it was a bit hit or miss. But we just wanted to play, so we went in there and played and there was no one there. Literally the screen, the, there was like a big kind of projector screen thing came up and there was no one there. And then about... 10, 15 minutes into the set. So literally, we just kind of looked at each other. We're like, well, fuck it. It's, we're, we're not getting paid anyway, yeah, so we just play. <laughs> and then by one of those kind of near spooky coincidences, three people walked in and we knew two of them. And that was the day they were just sitting like thoroughly enjoying themselves and all that kind of stuff. So that was a kind of weird experience because eh? you're just a bit like, 
you you can hear everything. You know, I mean, the music's loud, but you can still hear everything, and there's just no one there. Yeah, and you're man. like, oh well, fuck it, you know. But I don't know. Like, I would rather that. I'd rather play to a room of three people than a room of fifty people that can it be asked. Me. I mean, that's and that's a just difference, like, isn't it? Get off stage, yeah. you absolute loser, and. Yeah, you got to have that thick skin, good. and I'm guessing that comes with a, a mixture of your own kind of bravado, as well as over time you get kind of used to it. You have that kind of well, external I mean, shell of just that bounces off you. Dude, particularly the latter, like it just comes with experience, you know. Because the, you know, the more the more you care about uh, about that, and it, and it comes. In a, 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 I use the word that because you know the more you care about. The audience's reaction and the audience themselves, and the more you care about your jokes and you yourself, uh, you're not going to survive ten minutes, you know. But that's not to say that you don't care about the audience and you don't care about your jokes, you don't care about yourself, you know what I mean? Right. So it's a bit of a kind of catch twenty two situation. You have to kind of navigate it nicely. That you know, you 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 can handle if anyone hates you, or you can handle if there's only two people in the audience. Uh, you're not going to go home and, and think that you're the worst person ever. You're just going to go, oh, but they didn't enjoy it, so it's fine. It's, I always just found it the weird, it. Sorry, interrupt you. I just found it the weirdest no, thing when there was people in the room, whether that was in a bar or a club or somewhere, and they're doing. Oh, okay, we do it as well, right? When we're, we're watching something, you talk to your pal, or you're getting a drink, or there's stuff going on, but then there's people actively not doing or not engaging with whatever's going on in the room. Like so they're always like deliberately going out their way just not to to notice uh, it or not yeah. to engage with it or just to completely blank it. It's it's a weird thing you know that's always annoyed me i mean that's just a, that's just for me that's just a bit of like, disrespect you know because they know that, that they're surely aware of i, I guess I, I mean you could get deep about it cause, you know, there's many there's many different types of ego or i guess but you know it really is just a bit of respect i, I would never in my life uh, go into a room and there was a band playing or or someone doing poetry or someone doing a stand-up comedian and just like uh, you know, arrogantly speak to my pal and just like, hey, do you want a beer? <laughs> you know, just about like that, mate. Like, you know, so it's just about a kind of respect thing. Really understood that. But one thing that I always tell my audience, if there is someone who's been like that, which there has been in the past, I just say, look, dude, um, maybe I'm not your cup of tea, or maybe you don't even like comedy, maybe you've been dragged along here by someone and you don't like any of this, but you're kind of distracting the five or six people that are around your little, you're like the core. In the radius, there's like five or six people that can't hear what I'm saying, and I can tell that they're actually interested because they've paid five or six or ten, fifteen quid right. a ticket, whatever it is. So, if you don't mind, just shut up, just for like twenty minutes. That's all I ask. Twenty minutes, or leave. It's totally <laughs> right, fine. You know. No one's going to judge you. Right. No one's going to judge you, man. Just I'd rather you go if you, you know. So it's it's always working. Sometimes they've left and just stood at the bar and had a drink, waiting on their pals, which is totally fine. And then sometimes it's, they've shut up and actually enjoyed the show, which is always a good feeling. That is man. You were telling us a bit earlier about the kind of the eight episodes that you've recorded, and now yeah. they are in the edit process. But what are you going to do with them when they're finished? I, I kind of missed that. But what's the the plan? It's a good them? question, man. It's a good question. So they need to go somewhere um, of importance um, first and foremost. And if they don't end up, you know, being of the kind of importance which I've put them on that pedestal of, then. They'll probably be on YouTube at one point. <laughs> but no, I'm trying to get them commissioned, essentially. I want to get them produced by someone professional, whether that's in Germany or, or or the UK or America or Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South America, wherever, man, uh, anywhere in Europe. Like, I want to just try and get them or to get some sort of kind of TV or uh, streaming service behind it that would go uh, basically send them an idea of what I think an episode should look like, and they can either go, hey, you know what? I'll tell you what. We, we think this is okay. We're going to commission it. Go do it again. Here's a bunch of money. You know? Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking. And the, and the bunch of money is for me is to do it again. You know? Um, that, that would be my number one ideal situation. That would be the absolute dog's bollocks, man. That would be me. That would be my idea coming to fruition on a very international level where many, many people could see it and many people could enjoy it. And it wouldn't just be me directing it, producing it, writing it, uh, you know, booking it and, and, and getting it all over social media. 
because uh, I'm sure you know, and well, uh, in this game, if you if you work, if you're a solo creativist, if you're a social creative person, <laughs> uh, creative creative that was, yeah, that kind of went. I went, I went, so that went sideways religiously right there. If everyone's a creationist like myself, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but. Uh, yeah, if, if you do it solo, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and it becomes very tiresome very quickly. It becomes very laborious, you know. So it's good to have collaborators and a team of people behind you that can take it further than you can. Right. And that's essentially my next step. I think. It's not all the best for that, man. It's yeah, man. It's, it's a big project. It's a big project, but it's uh, it's it's got legs, man, and I'm confident that I can I can right make on. it work. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Who makes you laugh then? Since there's a kind of segue into that, then before I get to the top five, but. What kind oh, of stuff you into? Billy Connolly, man. It has to be, you know. Um, uh, Have you ever seen him live, by the way? I mean, uh, oh my uh, God, no. I saw no. him in. No, I've never even, never even seen him walk into the street, man. I, I saw him in. Oh, fuck yeah, I'm pretty, it sounds like your dad. I saw him in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, was it the King's Theatre or something like that? My girlfriend at the time. That would be an experience. And uh, I, he just released the video at Christmas. I forget even what video it was. So we'd kind of seen half of it, but then the other half was new. So it was like this mix of stuff. But fuck me. But literally, he does that joke about having a sore face. It was that, you know, it was just, oh, you just God. leave and it was a, I, it was a. I think kind of one of the, the first one that I saw was an audience with Billy Conley. Right. It's a classic, isn't it, right? And it was just so. Funny. I think that's the kind and of peak years as well. The stuff he did run about that time were just aye, shagging in an Australian and hotel room. You kind of get to sleep and all that kind of stuff. And aye, aye, and the incontinence pants and the big slipper. I the big slipper, and it was it's just, just genius, man. You know, uh, it's just so good. And he's just taking the piss at the weather lady at the time. Aye. I can't remember her name. Oh, what was it? Wincy, Wincy, something, Wincy Willowworth? Wincy, Wincy, Schmincy or something. <laughs> aye, and he's like. And he's like, uh, why do you always treat us like idiots, you know, when we're reading the weather? This is a cloud, <laughs> you know, and it might rain on you. And she was just in stitches. And I think that was actually, I remember Robbie Coltrane being in the audience. And and I just remember the, whenever the camera cut to the audience, that they would just be in stitches, man. And I think I just really liked the idea. I just really liked the idea of being a storyteller, saying something funny. And... Um, <laughs> And having people react like that on a, on a kind of mass scale and just be really liked, which Aye. is something I'm always uh, struggling to deal with, is how that's part of my character, but there you go. I think one of my funniest Billy Conley uh, jokes is the one, I think it was the one that broke him on Parkinson, so he's like wearing this kind of really dodgy brown leather suit type thing and all that, he just looks Another like one. proper shaded. I think it's Angie Dickinson that's next to him, right? Right. And uh, Parkinson and uh, Parkinson's like crying well after like Kerry Stone, but it's the one he tells about the guy that's murdered his wife. I and he needs somebody to park his bike and all that. But it's fucking <laughs> right. it's just, I mean that must have been I don't know, the early seventies and all that stuff. But I remember Yeah. My uncle having like the the crucifixion album and all that kind of stuff and listening to it as a kid and not really understanding any of it. Like I told my big banana boots you kind of got because you could relate to that as an eight or nine year old. But when you get a bit exactly. older, you get really into the kind of storytelling elements and then he put it to music and then he was really creative with the way he did it. And what's good with Billy is that he's just so creative. He's so relentless about it, but he's also so creative and he doesn't give a shit if he can't really finish a story. There's so Even in some of his specials that have been recorded on video, you can see him just abandon a story. Uh, like halfway through, when 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 no one's kind of really laughing, and uh, he, he, he or or his he, his punchlines are sometimes not the strongest. Um, uh, the ninety five percent of them they usually are, but there's if, if you go if you go searching man on some of the on some of the videos, you'll see that the store the 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 people in the audience are absolutely in stitches for ten fifteen minutes listening to a story, but then he says this really stupid kind of off the cuff flipping punchline and everyone's a bit like what and then he just goes ah on to the next story and I'm like that's cool man that's that's brave because a lot of comedians I think are too concentrated on like a big big punch and it, it, they sometimes don't concentrate enough on the actual story itself and the story itself is the most interesting part really I was uh, I done a show a couple of weeks ago with the 
her name's uh, Lois Bromfield, and she's old school, man. She's like 65, and uh, we were sharing the stage with her. You know, I was researching her, and she was 30 years old back in 1985, and she's doing this late-night talk show on YouTube. Well, I found it on YouTube. And she's just doing this amazing, funny, hilarious joke. I'll send you a link to it after this. I was like, that's, that's bloody brilliant. It reminded me of a really good comedian that I like called Dana Gould, who used to be one of the writers on The Simpsons for a while. And he's just an amazing stand-up comedian. And the day two, it, really, it was almost like they were synchronised. And then I watched some of her stuff, because you kind of want to get to know who you're with and stuff. And there was a video that she'd done two years ago, down in, she lives in Germany as well, by the way, uh, down in uh, Munich. And she'd done the same joke 30 years later. And I was like, that's just a total proper... And, and a lot of us comedians, we stress out a lot of the time that we're saying the same thing over and over, and I can't believe I'm doing this. And I've been doing this joke for two, three years. And if comedians think that that's old, too old, you just need to watch something like Lois Bromfield, who absolutely kills it on stage with doing the same material that she's been doing for 30 years. Not the whole time she's on stage she's doing, but she'll take me drubs and drabs of what she's done. And she done... She didn't, unfortunately, do the same joke that I saw that night that I performed. I asked her to. I said, can you do your joke? And she was like, ah, <laughs> And I was like, all right. And, uh, but she'd done it a couple of years ago down in München in, uh, in Munich. And it was, it was very interesting to see. Well, very interesting to just see like that. That the hardcores, if something works, keep it. And Alan Partridge or Steve Coogan mm. obviously does the same. He's like, ah, man, this is great. This is my style. But everyone likes it. I've got a fan base. Why would I not do this? Why would I... Have, trip myself up and jump, make the hurdles bigger if, if they don't need to be. Top five, you fit? Top five, let's do it. Uh, guilty pleasure then, Chris, someone you shouldn't like but you do. Musically or otherwise? So let's, or musically or otherwise, because yeah. this is something I wanted to, because I was like, so I was listening to some of your other episodes and I was like, it's clearly music based here, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for my first answer, I put McDonald's, man. That's my guilty <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> that works at many like, levels. <laughs> I was like, right, wait a minute here, man. I think he's, he's, judging he's a bit you, wiser right? than this. <laughs> Not <laughs> yet, anyway. Me. Well, the thing is, man, without trying to be too pedantic, like, I really don't know if I have any guilty pleasures, man, because like I mentioned earlier on, like, I don't really kind of have any regrets. So I'm one of these people that just are like, I own it, so if I like something, I'm like, ah, man, fuck, fuck you, it's not my problem, <laughs> right, you don't right. like it, you know what I mean? I don't feel, I don't feel guilty about right. liking it, it's just a pleasure, you know? Right. Um, I'm thinking more like you sneak an Ed Sheeran song into your playlist when you're doing the dishes and all that, you know, that kind of guilty pleasure. I, well, that's just, that's well, just wrong, be, rather than a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be something like, uh, you know, Urgent um, uh, by Fortner. Oh, that's right, uh, that's song. Right. Yeah, Back yeah, yeah, that's... That's something that would get slipped in. I know all the words to that song, and I, I would, I will, if it comes. It actually came on in a taxi the other night uh, when I was in the girl, when I was, was I was in, in taxi with my girlfriend, and um, and I just sang all the words. And she was like, ah, "This is fucking. This is, <laughs> this is this is this is this is bottling embarrassing now, man. This is now third verse, and uh, you know this, and and I'm notorious for not knowing any words to any songs. So, but this one somehow has its uh, somehow has its its place in my brain." But that or Rihanna's Root Boy. All oh, right. If that comes on in a club, I'll just start singing all the ones. Just lose it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I just lose. <laughs> Whatever takes you there. So, Tell us someone you don't get then, Chris. Like, can I kind of flip that on its on its head? Someone that someone who I think is overrated. Aye. Well, I was thinking this as well, and I, I kind of find it a difficult question to answer because anything that I find overrated is probably something that I don't like. So I was thinking, like, well, what I find, so what I find, like, like Slipknot, it's for me, like, completely overrated. But it's probably not if you're, if you're a Slipknot, Slipknot fan. Right. Or like, you're a death metal about, person, like, you know, the... If you're a death metal person, we bit talking about for me. But um, I, I never got Muse. I never got Muse as a band in general, and I, and I remember there being a lot of hype uh, about them. It might seem obvious, man, but I think I can go a bit deeper than just the just the general obviousness of this. But like Coldplay is is a pretty overrated band. However, the first album, Yellow, or Beige is it subtitled, right? You know, say again, or, or Beige is it subtitled in some places? Is that, is that right? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Beige. <laughs> All right, okay. 
I honestly thought that was not right album. And Parachutes I think was it's the first album, I think. The Parachutes, not it was. You're right. I, Wait, I heard not, No, 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 no. I love it. Yeah, was the song, um, right? Yeah, was the song, and it was on the album Parachutes. Aye. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the second album would have been Russia Blood to the Head. Aye, you're right. Aye. And uh, that album is absolutely brilliant. And it and after that. It just went completely down. I think it's got the no scientist idea. and all that on it, right? The second album. It's got, uh, has it got scientists? I think it has. Uh, it's got green eyes, rush blood to the head. It has got scientists, you're right. Um, but that's when it stopped for me. And, 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 and why I choose Coldplay has been overrated because I once liked them and then they just went off in this mad tangent that I just couldn't get on board with. And I, I followed them for a bit, but when they took that kind of hard left onto this, hard electric keyboard and then this what was that? and I was just like and even some of the stuff you're hearing even today I was, I'm like I can't I don't get it <laughs> at all how could you go so far from where you once were it's unbelievable Aye. and who told you to go there is this a personal choice or is this just you appealing or, or appeasing like producers and, and record labels you know it's an artistic genius right there I think that's all you'll define it you know or maybe yeah, when it's yeah. still got a big say in what's going on have you seen the thing on Netflix that she's advertising it's some kind of sexuality show no tits bums and fannies or something it's called I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like a three-word title, uh, but I can't... I now can't. you say that, man, I'm well in. Because it came up in my, my net, you know, it tells you what's new this week and all that, and I was like, I can't even remember the title, but one of the words in it's gloop or gloopy, and I forget what the other two that's are. Her, uh, that's her um, beauty um, produce uh, yeah, and I'm, range. And I'm just, I'm like, great, right? So uh, that's, that's my Saturday night sorted, right? So I'm like, all right. Uh, that's it, mate. That's it. Get, get, get a Chinese in, man, and uh, get yourself sorted. There you go. Get settled in. Perfect. Uh, Favourite venue or a venue that you've uh, you've seen someone at that you you really enjoyed or a place oh. that you played yourself? I'm sure you've shared many a stage. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd have to say, we're going back to Glasgow for this one, man, because I've not seen anything like it here in Berlin, but the Barrowlands in Glasgow has to be my number one venue, that or King Tut's. Aye. Because King Tut's is just, a, for me, a smaller version of the Barrowlands. But the Barrowlands has got this amazing bouncy floor. I almost <laughs> feel like you're going to go crashing through into the, the market. Is that where you saw your and... first band? Or first proper oh, band, and, and... Or like, you know, first proper yeah, gig? Yeah, definitely. Oh, in a big oh for sense. sure. A- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah. Mine was the Smiths in 1985, man. That's that's where I broke my duck. And where was that? That was at the Barrowlands, yeah. Oh, that must have been amazing, man. And I saw them the year after as well, and I think 87 they were done, so it was like, yeah, kind of patched on quickly. But aye, that was oh, a, nice, that was a nice. nice. I'm just like a wee guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, and there's all these dudes throwing flowers and trees and shit on the stage. I'm like, there's all this stuff coming out. Right? Tommy Cooper's like inside jacket. There's all these guys coming out <laughs> with big trees and launching them on and hunters of daffodils. And, and I'm like, uh, that's brilliant. Uh, that's brilliant. Slightly so. <laughs> it's one of the weird things. Love the Smiths, hate Morrissey. And it's just like, you know, uh, I don't right. understand Morrissey. Hates baby the wrong one, but it's a bit of an arsehole. Yeah. I, I mean, but I mean, it doesn't mean to say you can't not like the music that he does, you know, like just because he... He has you questionable know, views on certain things, right? Indeed, 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 yeah. But like, but as a, as a wee yeah, guy listening a to all those kind of old Smiths, or not old at the time, but old now, uh, the, the kind of classic bed sit material and all that, and kind of you kind of get a bird or you don't know what birds are and all that. But then the music was just amazing. I mean, just like the whole... The, the Queen whole album. Mar, the Smiths I, album. I'm sorry about that Queen, for Christ's sake. I'm typing in Queen is dead. And here, so I'm trying to set it. But uh, yeah, what's your? Do you have a favourite? Smith album? I probably Hatful of Hollow. I think that was the one that really got me into. I'm trying. It. It's the blue yeah, one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But Queen is Dead's a great album. Meet His Murder's okay, a fine that's, album. I mean, that's really, the one I'm looking. For. It's really the the yeah the Meet His Murder is my favourite album. That's got this song called uh, Russian Russian Ruffian or something like that. I think on it or Ruffian something. It's the Russian song Ruffians. Album. It's that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, and it's just fantastic because about him. I can't remember what year, what concert it was, but they opened with the Queen is Dead, so it has that kind of drum intro, and that's how they began uh-huh. the the gig, whatever one it was, the first year or the set, might have been the second year, but I. So that's how I kind of spent most of my youth, eh, going to 
the barrowlands and see the, like your mates would say, oh, there's someone playing in the bar. You don't even know who it is. It's just like a band, the gin blossoms it's or something. You know? And it's you're like, all right, great, you know, we'll go through <laughs> that. Totally. Or you got, yeah, yeah. had a couple of pals that were up at Glasgow Uni and they would go to the Queen Margaret Union and you'd see bands in there for like a fiver and all that stuff. And I mean, it was just half of them you don't even remember. They were great, you know, great nights. My brother-in-law, he saw Polk there for a fiver uh, in the, in the <laughs> Strathclyde Uni. It was, that would be brilliant. Must have been great fun. Um, was it like two old men? <laughs> like, you know, reminiscing about the kind of the good old days and all that. Smoky it's bars. Brilliant, though, man. That. Bring it. I want it. Bring it. Absolutely bring it. <laughs> oh, go to karaoke song then. I'm guessing it's going to be Foreigner or Rihanna, maybe. <laughs> nah, well, no, actually, no. And I'll tell you a quick story. Me and a pal were in Eindhoven. We're getting, we're out in the piss because we're helping actually Jonathan from the Crazy Bastard Sauce. He's selling sauces at this festival thing. We're helping him. We go out at night, the karaoke bar. So my karaoke song used to be, it's not unusual, be Tom Jones, right? So I get up and I start singing, it's not unusual, Tom Jones. Now in this bar, there's a lot of young ones, they're all 19, 20, 21. And I bring the house to an absolute halt, right? It's, 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 it's just stopped. People at the bar stop talking, they start turning around to the stage, they start snickering, they start laughing. They're not enjoying it. <laughs> Even the, the karaoke DJ, he like fades me out halfway through the song. Okay, everyone, that was Chris. Uh, please welcome, uh, please, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go out to the bar and uh, I'm like, that was a, a horrible experience. I'm just giving me a stiff whiskey. And uh, all of a sudden, David Bowie's Let's Dance starts playing up behind me and uh, everyone starts dancing. I'm, my back's towards the stage. And uh, I'm just sitting at the bar, you know, and I eventually kind of slowly turn around to kind of inch my way towards looking at the stage. And it's my pal, my pal Pierce, who's absolutely rocking Let's Dance by David Bowie. And everyone's up dancing and they're absolutely having a great time. And that was a lesson learned. <laughs> and if you're going to do karaoke, at least read the room. And uh, uh, Pierce's seat is, is uh, sadly since passed away. So now my song is Let's Dance. By David Bowie, uh, uh, whenever I'm at karaoke. Excellent, man. That's a nice touch. <laughs> Reading the rooms all there, I mean, I don't even remember the last time I did karaoke. In South Korea, they have, uh, you do it in your own private room. It sounds a bit rude. You do it. In South Korea, they call it, it's called Nori Bang. It kind of translates as Nori Bang. Sing, sing, room, that's room. what it translates as Nori singing Bang's room. Wow. And uh, so okay. I, but you, you'll find, I mean, uh, when I worked at universities in South Korea, you would ask the student, what, what did you do yesterday or what are you doing? How do you relax? You know, just kind of bullshit, small talk. And they would be like, oh, yeah, I like to go to the Noribang and sing for half an hour and all that. I mean, you'll just find these places that are everywhere. There's thousands of them all Aye. over the city. And they do it, they just go on their uh, own and just, just have a wee sing. In there, it's like cheap therapy. It's like a tenor for an hour and all that. And you could go in and sing your K-pop heart out or your... Whatever you oh, like. Oh, I you know. go sing some radio. It's creep. <laughs> you know, just think you're not fucking like, anyone cares about you. Absolutely. Sorry, you were going to say that. So, but that's the. It's it's been that long since I've seen karaoke. Aye, it's a good thing though. Is it when you're in the mood for it and all that? You know, a certain at a place in a time. Karaoke though. man, yeah. I like about the only thing that should be banned in South Korea is they have. Uh, you go into the room. And they've got like a big machine there and a big sound system and all that. You can order your drinks. You get a wee plate of fruit. Everyone's like ready to go, and then there's a tambourine in the room, and it's just like, oh no, step away from the tambourine, right? You know what I mean? It's like, is it just always? Is it just standard? That is it just a standard thing that's always always in there? a tambourine, man. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like not having a microphone, you know? But I mean, it's just gonna. Oh, it dominates the room, that man, the tambourine. You, I mean, I bet there's not even any. I bet there's not even any shakes. I'm just tambourine. sitting there, kind of cringing. Pure. I'm like, you know, it's like in the one in the three and all that. And I'm like, oh. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But so, what do you do, man? Do you sing as well? Yeah, everybody has to. And you know, and and but in bands. Oh, do I sing? Uh, no, I sing music. badly. Right, so you're you're strictly to the drums and a bit of guitar. Uh, so when when was the last time you went to karaoke? Was it in, in South Korea? I think it was, was in it, Glasgow. Uh, actually, it must have been twenty something years ago. Yeah, and it was kind of oh yeah, a blurry, a blurry. Do you remember what you sang? Do you remember what you sang? Purple haze. All right, you don't okay. have to sing very much, right? So you know, you just gonna you just get no, the you air guitar. Okay, guitar. You know, like, Everyone's a wonder baby. You know, there we go. <laughs> right, I, I know when I know when to make my exit, right? You know, what I mean, it's kind of you know. Oh, fair enough. That's good. I got a good. last question for you then. Aye. 
So this one was it's kind of worded as who should we be listening to, but uh, maybe tell us some comics that we should be more aware of or music, whatever you like. Um, well, uh, musically, um, I'm big into uh, this person called uh, Aldous uh, Harding. I don't know if you know of her. She's a New Zealand folk singer who's based in Wales. Uh, she's brilliant. She's absolutely fantastically brilliant. So um, she's just got a, a, a like a, a really really fresh sound for folk. It's it's almost upbeat and sad at the same time. The way that she sings is she's almost living through the song. She's very performative with it. So it's almost like she's kind of like dramaturgizing, if I can say that word. You can or dramatizing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. It's like she, she brings like dramaturgy right. to a song. So it's almost like someone's said, here, man, here's a bit of a cinematography. Go do that. So you have to watch her. You have to see her on, on, on YouTube or, or live. Great. Obviously listen to her on Spotify and stuff. But she, she lives the song. You can really see her. She's very tense. She's got a very kind of strange, intense <clears throat> look. Uh, about her, uh, but I but like totally uh, absorbing the way her, if, when you get into it. Yeah, totally. She's she is completely immersed in her own music, and uh, she's fantastic at inviting you into that immersion. Fantastic, and it's it's very it's quite a fascinating thing to to, to witness. That's 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 about it, man. Um, there's one other thing. Are you familiar with Adam Curtis, the documentary yeah, filmmaker yeah. from BBC? He made something quite recently. Well, he made something this year. I didn't see yeah, it's called I Can't Get You Out of My Head. I, didn't, I haven't seen it, but I, read, I saw it on, uh, what's the movie thing on BBC? Kermode and Mayo, Mayo and Kermode thing. Uh, oh, Kermode and Mayo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're big fans as well. Uh, but if, if you or any of your listeners or whatever are kind of looking for something to watch, uh, I've been into Adam Curtis for a long, long time, and he's got several documentaries. They're all like, fucking five, six hours long, man. They're all broken into one-hour parts so that you've got a lot of TV watching and they, they range from everything from Iraqi war to kind of corrupt Russian governments and stuff, you know. The, the reason I mention it is because the soundtracks are always amazing. They're always amazing. I've always got, like, Apex Twin and the, and the Smiths and just really loads of obscure stuff that you would never really think. And Or he's very good at choosing songs off albums that are not the most popular and putting them... And maybe maybe they're particularly this. chosen because you know this kind of despot dictator's favourite B side of the fall or whatever, like that, you know. You know? <laughs> exactly. All exactly. Pot's favourite kind of you so know I, uh, Manchester era band or whatever it was, you know. It's kind of you know. <laughs> so I can wholeheartedly re re recommend that if you're ever kind of thinking, you know, sometimes you find yourself in a real situation and, and music musically where you're like. I'm not actually hearing anything new here. I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm struggling to kind of stick on some Adam Curtis, watch the documentary. And you get the best of both worlds, you know. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the great things about doing this podcast, actually, Chris, because as you were saying, a lot of the the guests are musically based and stuff. So I kind of get into what they're doing or listen to what they're doing, or they are always making new stuff. Or aye, it takes you down a different path because there's a lot of people out there like yourself really talented and really kind of uh, deserving of the kind of next step up, you know, and it's it's dog-eat-dog dog out there. It's kind of, it's hard going. It's a rough, it's a rough one to, so it's an interesting uh, career path to choose, man, show business, which is essentially what it is. It's a bit of an old school term for it, but it is that, and uh, especially now when everything seems like a popularity contest more than uh, how good you are at what you do. And I think sometimes for an artist that can be very disheartening is to constantly watch people maybe surpass you by in some respects and and get get things that you maybe want to have through their popularity more than the content or the context of, of, of kind of what they do. But you've also you've just got to keep a like an easy mm -hmm. head on it all, man, and just be like, right, that is what it is. I'm just going to do what I want to do, isn't it? But like always, just if, if you just do what you what you personally believe in. You can't go far wrong. You can't stray too far from the path. I mean, how can you compete with a, a TikTok video with like 10 million hits and it's a hamster going in a wheel backwards or whatever, right? That's it. You know, and you think, all right, fair enough. I'm, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I know. It's just, it's, it's a rough one, man. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be that 
But it's, you know, but it's not about that because then you start to just become this disgruntled artist who's like, everything's shit and I'm the funniest person ever or I'm the best musician that's ever existed, right? You know, and you start getting out, you've got to just go with the way the world type thing. It's it's when, yeah, so you can, you just keep your cool, be calm, just keep doing what you believe in and it, it usually works out all right. It's about a perception more than True. anything else. Chris, thanks for... Uh... The last hour and change, man. It's been great. Great catching up. And I don't think we spoke to Cumbernaldian or Ouija-ish or whatever. It's like, you know, this might even be kind right. of the most the... normal sounding kind of <laughs> the two folk fair part of the world I've actually ever sounded on. Oh, no, I know, I'm, I'm it's so country. true. If you could just magic us or teleport us at the tent right now, man, I wonder what we start talking like. There was these two actors and they're pretending they're from Cumberland and they're just fantastic. You know, <laughs> it's like, yes, it's, it's so rustic. <laughs> <laughs> All the best, Chris, man. Thanks uh, for tonight. It's been great. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. follow Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome on Facebook at Expat Music Pod and of course you can find us on Spotify Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll find us there until the next one, this is Greg saying cheers <laughs> <laughs>